0: I first became aware of Bornette's music kind of in a funny way. I grew up in a small town in Missouri where there was really no official record store. So the only place you could get records was at a store called the TG&Y store, also known as the Dime Store. And they would have like all different kinds of records, including a small jazz bin. And also each week, From where, I don't know, they would get a big pile of records that they would sell for, you know, I can't even remember how much it was, like 25 cents each or something. And one week they got a record in called New York Is Now, which was an Ornette record. I remember just being interested in the cover and everything about it, but I didn't buy it. And it so happened that a friend of mine had just gotten that same record and hated it and gave it to me. You know, I didn't know much about Ornette and the controversy. I mean, I was sort of learning about jazz in general at that point. And uh, I was like, well, that's the same record I saw in the store. And I just loved it. I mean, from the first second, I loved it. And, And the thing that attracted me the most to it, and I was probably, I don't know, 12 or 11 years old, was just how much fun it sounded like they were all having. Everybody seemed to really be enjoying themselves so much. And the songs, to me, had this kind of happiness to them that was just very appealing and very attractive. And from that point, I really kind of launched into a pretty detailed trip of trying to understand Ornette's thing and and learning about all his records and all the different people that played with him, which of course led me immediately to what is known as the, you know, classic quartet with Charlie Hayden, Billy Higgins, and Don Cherry. And, you know, I got my hands on those records and started to, as I developed as a player, learn those tunes kind of alongside all the other stuff I was learning. And I never really saw it as this, you know, kind of wild avant-garde kind of thing that I often see it as described as. To me, it never really made sense to me that there would be fist fights and people would be, you know, having these incredibly intense arguments about whether or not it was jazz and this, that, or the other thing. And it still doesn't make sense to me. I mean, there's still people that when you say the name Ornette Coleman, they go, oh, that's some wild, you know, far out music. I mean, to me, Ornette's thing is at its core really about melody. And the melodic feeling and the melodic spirit that he embodies as a musician, I think, is something so rare and so evolved. I mean, there are very few musicians in any genre that have the capacity to kind of generate melody with the kind of weight that he does. And I mean, that comes across certainly in his tunes, but also in his improvising. There's this song-like quality that he just offers in every phrase, whether it's as a composer or as an improviser. As time went on, I started to play Ornette Tune's regularly. And when I moved out of Kansas City, the first place that I went to was Miami, Florida, when I was uh, 18. One of the first people I met there was a musician, of course, that became a real strong collaborator for me for a number of years, and that was Jaco Pastorius, the bass player. And I remember very quickly we found that we both knew not only some ornette tunes, but some of the same ones, and they became kind of a regular part of our playing together. And we included a couple of those pieces on what was my first record, Bright Size Life. We did Broadway Blues and Round Trip. And before that, we played a lot with Paul Blay, who was a piano player that also had a strong association with Ornette and also played a lot of Ornette tunes. So we learned a bunch from him and played a lot of those Ornette tunes with him too. So even very early in my you know life as a recording musician, Ornette, material was fertile ground for me. I mean it was it was an area for me that was interesting because it it sort of allowed me to play in a in a certain kind of way that had a, a spot in my life in the sort of rural way. Ornets tunes sort of bring out the country f- almost folk kind of qualities that I was trying to reconcile with the larger jazz language that I was trying to immerse myself in. And yet at the same time, there was a big part of me that wanted to find other ways of playing besides just playing on standards and blues forms and that sort of thing. And you know, eventually that led to me writing my own tunes. But in that early stage, before I really was doing that a lot, the Ornette tunes were the tunes that seemed to open up this way of improvising that allowed me to to improvise in in I guess what would be the style that I've become more associated with, you know, in terms of my sound and all that sort of thing. It probably first emerged through playing a lot of ornette tunes where I could play You know, not necessarily on the changes. I could sort of make up my own changes as I went along. And also I could play in a much more diatonic way, an extended diatonic way, as opposed to just having to stick to the changes or play on blues forms or heads or whatever. And with Jocko, we found a way, I think, of for both of us, we could develop our own individuality through Ornette tunes in a way that was really beneficial to both of us and it seemed very appropriate to include a couple of those tunes on Bright Side's Life. Came real close with Charlie Hayden, who remains to this day one of my very best friends. I met Charlie during the period that he was playing with Keith Jarrett, and I was playing with Gary Burton. And we then a couple years later did a project together called Eighty Eighty One, along with Dewey Redman, who I also met during that same period because Dewey was playing with Keith and Jack DeJohnette and Michael Brecker, and. Of course, having Charlie and Dewey there opened up the possibilities of really going in depth into that area that is so associated with Ornette. From that point, it led to a trio that Charlie and I had for a number of years with the great drummer Billy Higgins, which brought me even closer to that circle. And in that trio, we did a lot of Ornette tunes, and they were somewhat represented on the record that we did together called Rejoicing but much more so on the live gigs that we did. It was during one of those gigs with Charlie and Billy that Ornette came, and I got to meet him for the first time, really. I'd met him briefly a couple times before, but he came to hear us on several occasions down at the Vanguard here in New York. You know, it's funny because when you play at the Vanguard, there's always lots of heavy musicians that come to hear you. I mean, it's quite normal that, you know, actually I remember that same week Keith came to hear us you know and I remember being so nervous while Keith was there it was like wow you know it's like one of the great musicians in the history of music is there you know and I was I I played really bad and was really kind of like freaked but it was really interesting when Ornette came it was just the opposite it was totally inspiring that he was there and it made me want to play my best it was like this sense of of encouragement and like it was thrilling to have his presence there there was nothing except positivity around him and that's something that is really interesting about ornette his spirit is so unbelievably good he's really one of the best human beings you know i think i've ever been lucky enough to know he's just such a, a good person and that goodness i think comes out in his music During one of the breaks, he said, you know, we really should play together sometime. I think it, you know, would be really fun. And I was like, man, you know, that would be the greatest thing ever for me. I would love that, too. And, And he mentioned it a few other times. And right about that period is when I had decided to leave ECM and had other record company possibilities, and I wound up at that point going with Geffen Records, which was a very unique situation. It was unique then and in retrospect it's especially unique. It was really a bunch of guys that were trying to do a real record company with a broad range of of people and you know they didn't really even think about jazz or rock or anything else. They just wanted to, to have musicians that were strong individuals and I was lucky to get the opportunity to record for them and I started a company of my own that they became the first distributors for which was Matheny Group Production which is still what goes on. And we make the records and we have different companies that we license the records to who get them out there. And Song X wound up being the first project for that new relationship. And it seemed to me, and I I mentioned this to Ornette, that it would be great to start this off with something very special like that. And Ornette, at that time, was not really associated with a record company. And it it made sense for him, too. And we very quickly launched into this project. And it all began by Ornette and I spending about three weeks in a rehearsal room down in the village playing just the two of us for 9 and 12 hours a day. And we just played and played and played and played and played. And the whole time we kept talking about how we wanted to try to do something that was different than, than anything. I mean, and it's interesting to me, kind of as jazz history has progressed, how that thing of trying to do something that's really different has become less and less of a, an issue. You know, it's like that's always been a big priority for me. And I know for Ornette, that's like, you know, what he lives for is to to kind of mess with things and to try to reinvent things. And... The energy and the spirit of what we were trying to talk about and learn about in terms of what the collaboration could be was all about that, trying to do something that was unlike anything. You know, certainly the results, I think, especially looking back on them 20 years later, that was clearly what we were trying to do because it's interesting to me that that record really does stand so apart from everything else. I mean, it's of course way different from from many of the records that I've done and even in terms of ornette's language which it's certainly closer to. It's quite different than anything he he did too. I mean, you know, the the primetime stuff which of course I I also really enjoyed had a certain kind of thing, the the more quartet stuff or or free jazz or those kinds of the records on Atlantic and all that had something that was cohesive that kind of grouped those records together. This record is really somewhere in a continent separate from those, and it didn't just happen that way. I mean, we really spent a lot of time throwing things out and saying we're not going to do this kind of thing, we're not going to do this kind of thing, we are going to do this kind of thing, and really trying to get a specific language and a specific way of playing that was for that record for that time. One of the thrills for me about getting to go back 20 years later and really examine the project was at the time it all happened so fast. I mean, it was because I had signed with Geffen and and there was kind of a, a reason to get it out as soon as we could possibly get it out. And basically, we recorded for a couple days, we mixed for a day, and we were supposed to master the next day. I mean, it was a, a kind of insane schedule that is not unusual in jazz. I mean, that I've had to do many records that way. But that particular record, there was so much material because we did lots of takes of each tune. I don't think we even listened to anything in the studio. We just kept playing and playing and playing and playing. And then the night of the last recording day, I had to listen to everything and try to figure out which ones were the good takes so that we can mix them the next day. And I mean, for 20 years, I've been living with this, like, did I pick the right takes? Did I pick the right tunes? And I knew that the mix was not as good as it could have been. And yet that was what it had to be because the record had to get mastered on the Friday or whatever it was of that week. So it's been great to go back there and really examine it. And in fact, it turns out I did pick the right takes. I mean, you know, when I listened to all the versions of the tunes that were on there, those were the good ones. And clearly the right group of songs to put together in that first version, because back then it was vinyl. So you couldn't get more than 40 some minutes of music on a record. It just didn't fit. And in fact, to even get that much music on a record at that time, you had to compromise some things about the sound, which in the case of the mastering was the bass. I mean, the bass has always been kind of soft on that record. So when I got, this time, the chance to go back and really listen to all the tracks, at first I was just going to remaster it. But I found that there were six pieces that were not only really good, they were really different than what was on the the original. And just instantly it was like, well, we have to put these on there. And that's going to require mixing, because they weren't mixed. And as I mixed those tunes, it was just like within five minutes it sounded better than the original it was like 20 years of experience and a lot more perspective on things it was real easy for me to kind of zero in on what was not as good as it could have been in the first mix and then it was like well man this new stuff sounds so good we can't put the new stuff and then have the old stuff sound the way it used to sound so we got to remix the whole thing which ended up being just an incredibly fun experience <laughs> One of the early questions was who are we going to get to play with us and I mean for me not only as a player but also as a fan it was such a dream to hear Ornette and Charlie playing again together because at that point it's kind of hard to believe this but they hadn't played together for almost 10 years. And Charlie also had a lot to do with this whole thing. I mean, Charlie had been talking to Ornette about me for years and, and was the reason Ornette came down to the Vanguard to hear us was because Charlie was bugging him all the time to check us out. And, you know, so it was, like, essential that Charlie was there. I remember Ornette had some ideas of some of the guys that he had been playing with at that time. And, of course, the core of his band at that time was DiNardo. And, you know, I had always had a real affinity for DiNardo's playing. I mean, even when he was a little kid, I thought he had a kind of intuitive understanding of Ornette's thing that was pretty remarkable. So I was totally up for having DiNardo participate. And also at that time, DiNardo was doing some very interesting things with electronic drums, which was in a similar area of research that I was doing with guitars. I mean, that was a a pretty innovative period for instrument development. You know, then it seemed like what would be really taking it to a whole other thing. I had played a lot at that point with Jack Dejanette and had done this record 8081, which of course was Charlie and Jack, and thought that they were such a great rhythm section. Actually, they had never played together before, prior to 8081. That was kind of one of the central ideas of that project, was to bring Jack and Charlie together. And you know, I suggested to Ornette that they were such a great rhythm section that, you know, what about having two drummers? And it seemed to make a lot of sense to have Jack play like a more acoustic set, have Donato play, you know, this kind of electric sound, and it seemed like it would balance things out and, and it turned out to be just great. Didn't really rehearse with all five of us until the day before the session. And it went very fast. Charlie, of course, knew exactly what to do with all of the tunes. I mean, he just instantly knows exactly the perfect bass thing to play with any Ornette tune. It's, it's kind of weird how just easy it is for him to psych out what is exactly the right bass part. I mean, I've seen so many bass players struggle with what notes to play on Ornette tunes Because lots of times that it, you know, when you give somebody an Ornette tune, it's just the melody You know, Charlie finds all these ins and outs to what those melodies suggest that just nobody else can do So that was a thrill to, to, to just kind of witness that firsthand As Charlie saw the tunes that uh, we had come up with And then Jack was very excited for the chance to play with Ornette So there was a very positive feeling about the whole thing In the original group of tunes that were on the original record, there's a fairly wide range of things happening stylistically. I mean, there's some real straight ahead kind of grooves. Um, there's some eighth note kind of stuff. And of course there's a lot of real wild improvised playing that had a real particular kind of energy. And that's probably best summed up with the track Endangered Species, which is kind of, I guess at this point, it's it's a track that I, I hear people talking about a lot. I mean, it's, I don't know, 11 or 12 minutes long and it just keeps going and it, it never lets up. And it was interesting in the studio, that's actually the sixth take and we didn't take a break. We just did one right after another. And it was fun to go back and listen to the evolution of the piece. Also, that record was recorded in an incredibly small studio. I mean, we were right on top of each other. It was the only studio we could get at the time. There was no separation. We were all just in a room together. I just remember when it was over, it looked like we had just taken a bath, You know, especially Jack, because we'd been in there for about an hour and a half. Each, Each one of them was 12 or 15 minutes long. We'd finish one, and Ornette would say, okay, let's do another one. And we would just go right into the next one. And it just, it just kind of kept building and building and building until we got to that one. That was one of the most exciting 12 minutes of my life to, to participate in, in the recording of that track. Started the record with the six new pieces because it felt like those pieces had every bit as much to say about what the whole project was as the old pieces. And it's not like, oh well, we'll let's just tack these on at the end. It's like I wanted to put those like you know front and center. Like you know, check this out. And there's some very interesting things about those pieces. Police people, which is the first song on the record, and the good life, which is um, near the front of the record were experiments that I made at the time of taking pieces that Ornette had and writing really conventional song forms to go with them that we would improvise on, which is something that Ornette has really h- hardly done, except on one of his very early records. Mostly he's played on open kinds of forms, and I thought it would be really interesting to hear Ornette play on changes. And he was up for it, too. So we did those pieces, and for whatever reason at the time, I remember thinking, well, maybe those aren't as aren't what I thought they could have been. And for that reason, I kind of ended up going to the things that had really worked well, which was the more free playing. But in retrospect of the the 20 years, that was something that became kind of a centerpiece of what this new material is, is hearing Ornette play on the changes. And of course, it's a it's an area that for me and Charlie and, and Jack, it's very familiar, you know, playing on tunes like that. So in, in a way, you hear us doing... A certain kind of playing that we didn't do on the original version that is very interesting in in uh, the juxtaposition to the way ornette does it <laughs>
1: Oh, 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 oh,